Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to Inside Carolina On The Beat live podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. That's John Bowman. That's Ross Martin. Carolina four straight wins heading into this bye weekend. Much needed. First question in the chat I see is, do we know the extent of R.J. Davis's injury? No, I mean, I texted uh, spokesman yesterday and got no uh, got you know, no update. So, I mean, I don't think we'll hear anything until closer to the pit game. That's on Wednesday, right? They have seven full days off, so – I think if anything, he'll have the the bye week comes at the right time. I'm not sure of the extent of the injury; is pretty banged up, um, but we haven't heard anything uh, saying he can't he can't start, he can't play. So I think RJ is good. We haven't heard anything. RJ took a beating in that ball game, including that that elbow um, late. You know that that basketball move, as we were all taught. I thought that was an interesting discussion, um, given how it was. I was discussed on the on the broadcast there, John Bowman. Um, what do you think watching it, seeing that happen? Uh, I thought it was a brawl worthy play. To be honest with you, my mm. my blood got boiling there. Who is that? When Tommy's jumping off the couch there a little bit, and, uh... yeah, that's when you get fired up. When you see when you take shots in the face like that, that that's when sort of things sort of change a little bit. Of course, it happened with Leaky and Quavion Smith. I guess the game before that, um, but yeah, I just thought it was a it was an interesting play. Adam, welcome to the show, my friend. I'm freshly back from New York City. Adam, <laughs> your take on uh, your your take on RJ? Uh, I mean, he took a hit. Um, Ross said no update on his injury. I can't imagine he'll miss any action, but um, he looked like he'd been through it. He looked like he played a game of football after that game against Syracuse. Yeah, I mean. I'm sorry your blood was boiling, Tommy. Um, you guys had probably had a better angle on it than, than we did. We were sort of behind the basket um, in the middle of the Syracuse band. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he took one for the team. Where, how does the cliche go? And uh, looking back at it, that thing looked like it hurt. <laughs> I mean, you know, a swinging elbow uh, to, the, to the eye area. And, um, you know, I think that's just a situation where, you know, Judah Mintz, you know, interestingly enough, you know, Armando was talking about after the game, they, he's, he was talking about their scouting report. 
and you know you get three point tendencies and two point tendencies and the the scout on mints obviously if you watch Syracuse play this year is that guy drives he attacks he is always attacking um I think that's going to make him a pretty good player one of these days pretty good pretty good guard but um Carolina had to have it in that situation just like they had to have the Pete Nance almost miracle lay-in off of the Joe Girard save on the baseline. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I felt like uh, there could have been twice where R.J. might have st- sustained a concussion. I'm sure they checked him out. I'm sure they would not have sent him back in the game if he was showing concussion-like symptoms after the first one earlier in the second half where he got popped in the nose. Um, but Ross is right. I mean, you know, it's almost like football. The bye, week, the bye weekend couldn't come at a better time you kind of want them to keep playing because they're kind of hot and you don't want them to, you know, kick back and goof off a little bit. But uh, I think RJ is definitely going to need it to get, get healthy. That's where I was going to go with it, Adam. You mentioned uh, Pete Nance. I think he's also the other big story from the game against Syracuse earlier this week. Pete Nance, 21 points, eight of 10 from the free throw line, pitched in four rebounds, three assists, a block and four steals. Ross, what did you think watching Pete Nance both in the Syracuse game and the NC State game? Because to me, it looked like a different Pete Nance than we had seen any other point this season. Yeah, I thought he was good and against Syracuse. I thought he missed a lot of gimmies. I think he could have had so many more points. He finished with 21, I believe, on um, on 6 for 17 shooting. Uh, That's right, Ross. You got it. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. yep. Um I have the stat broadcast right here in front of me. Um, I, I thought I thought UNC handled the zone well. I thought they did exactly. It, it's you've seen it, you've seen it so many times. You know, you get the the high post, you get the short corner, and you get the, the big men working together. And I thought a combination of Leaky, Armando, and Pete Nance kind of were experienced and knew how to do that. Um, you would like Pete Nance to have made a little more shots. I thought he missed a lot of gimmies. I don't think he's used to kind of banging as much down low as he did. Um, and, you know, he's more – I think he was more of a perimeter player at Northwestern. And, and, and against Syracuse, he had to score a lot in the paint and was given a lot of opportunity to score, you know, 10 feet from the basket. And, you know, only six field goals. Um, but he was solid. I mean, he made eight free throws. Um, you know, he was in the right position on that key play, the Gerard save underneath the basket. He made one of one of two on those free throws. So he was big. He played the whole 40 minutes, which I didn't realize until the very end. And I was just looking at stats. Um, mm. And so that was reassuring with his back injury. And, and I've, you know, I was want to kind of step back from what we said last week. We, we were pretty rough on him. And there was a mess, whole message board thread about how rough we are on Pete Nance. And after looking at some analytics, you know, it seems like that that lineup they have, the starting lineup has been very efficient. So uh, we were a little tough on Pete Nance. Um, you still want more from him. I think we just we want and expect more from him um, in that four role. But it, it was mostly me. It was mostly me. I was the hardest on him. And I will say, these past two games that we saw, we saw two things from Pete Nance that we had never seen before. Talking specifically first about his dunk against NC State, I did not know that he had that level of athleticism and burst in him. So that was a, a difference-making play that we saw out of him, and it kind of reframed my my view of him a little bit as a player because that, to me, showed that he is healthy. Maybe his back issues that we were seeing and that caused him to miss a few games isn't as big a deal than maybe we speculated. Um, but then also, I think 
Syracuse, we saw him really, you know, take over and, and, and lead the Carolina offense. It also helped that this was the perfect matchup for Pete Nance, the Syracuse zone. He loves the mid-range, and he was getting the ball consistently um, in, in that kind of that foul line area where, where he does so much good work. So, yeah, I, I definitely – my opinion of Pete Nance has really changed in just these past two games. I feel a little bit like that, that Shaq quote or that meme where it's like, uh, I owe you an apology. I wasn't really familiar with your game. That's a little bit how I feel yeah. tonight after watching Pete the last two. Yeah, I called him a liability on defense. We were a little rough on him. And, yeah, I mean, he, that dunk he had against NC State was, was awesome. And you, you say his, you know, he, was, he was super explosive on that play, kind of the burst to get into the lane. But he's also 6'10", 6'11". Like, the guy should be dunking some um, like that. And then I thought he was effective against Syracuse. I think, I think we just want more. We need more. And I think UNC needs more from him in general uh, if they want to um, compete for the ACC championship. Uh, continue winning and then, and then make make a deep run. But I mean, I think off the top here, look, two big wins, two tough wins, two gritty wins. Winning up at Syracuse is not easy. Um, you know, they took shots. Gerard was hitting threes. They pulled it out. I mean, that game was looking like UNC was going to lose. And to stay with it, to make some plays late, I think there was a little luck involved. But you know, th- you know, luck favors the luck favors the bold or whatever or preparation. Something, 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 something like that. Rather yeah. be lucky than good. Yeah. So, and then the state game, you know, they were, they took some shots in that state game and had some adversity with Leaky coming out and a stoppage in play. And I thought it was two big wins that we need to kind of, you know, point to heading into this bye week. I think that you, you might look at the Syracuse game as a potential turning point for this team. Um, Cause that's a, that was a great road win. I thought it was huge. Just to finish the thought on Pete Nance, because I know we don't need to spend the whole show on him. You know, I thought it was interesting what he said after the game when we were talking to him about, you know, you, you station him right there at the free throw line. You have to do it to try to collapse the zone and, uh, you know, shrink it. And he said, I probably could have shot in the ball every time I got it. You know, he's like, you know, with at my height, catch, turn, I could probably shoot. And I agree with him being there watching the game. But also something you don't quite pick up sometimes on TV is – Syracuse is long. I mean, they are, they, you know, you got Jesse Edwards in there who's like 6'11. He's like sixth in the country in shot blocking. And you have Chris Bell and the other dude, I can't even think of his name right now. They're like 6'8, 6'8, 6'11. And they're just so long. And when you, he, Pete was talking about it. Go watch the, the I see YouTube video. When you catch it and you turn, you have to quickly make a decision. You know, it might not seem like it when you're watching it on TV, but you have to quickly make a decision. Am I going to shoot? Am I going to pass? What am I going to do? And they are always doing so different things when you catch. Sometimes they might run at you. Sometimes they might cut off the, the baseline, the pass to the baseline that they were getting to Armando for some of those dunks. They might cut off the short corner. And, you know, they're constantly screwing with your head. You know, I think that's why <laughs> Jim Bayham has won a national championship. Um, so I don't know how many times Pete saw something like that in the Big Ten, you know, but – uh, Ross is absolutely right. He could have made more shots. He could have finished better. Um, but he, he did enough for them to win and what he did, they needed. Uh, and I think that was a spot he wasn't used to being in, you know, catch turn. And like you said, he could have probably shot the ball 40 times if he wanted to. Um, so anyway, that's just a, a thought on Pete. Going against Syracuse is like going against, uh, Georgia tech under Paul Johnson. You have to prepare in a different way against their defense. It's very unique. You kind of recognize the defense just like you would recognize Georgia Tech's offense in football, the triple option, a couple of years mm-hmm. back. 
you know, you, you individually prepare for that game. And I thought UNC's staff did a great job preparing this team. It helps that Baycott's gone against it four times now or four plus times. RJ Davis, Caleb Love probably gone against it at least three, four times as well. Leaky, <laughs> maybe six, seven, eight times. So um, they had experience with it. I thought, especially the first half, they came out and executed. It was awesome to see Caleb Love hit those three back, three threes, kind of bang, bang, bang. That was refreshing. I think a lot of Carolina fans took a sigh of relief to see that go in. He had to feel great. Um, see that ball go through the hoop and then three in the row. That was a good boost there. And then um, just some clutch plays by R.J. Davis on the stretch and good defense by Leakey. And uh, I saw a thing here uh, with Tyler Nickel. I thought – so I watched the game with shout-out Wayne House, and we were talking about every game it's a different bench player who steps up, or at least he Hubert leans on this is a different bench player. It's DeMarco Dunn some games, Jalen Washington, Seth Tremble, and then on Tuesday night it was Tyler Nickel who got the most minutes off the bench, I believe, hit a, hit a three, um, you know, had a chase down block that was critical and had the team high a plus 12 as well. Um, you know, didn't score as much, but I thought he was, he wasn't a liability. I thought he made some good plays, um, made some, got some rebounds in there. And so shout out to Tyler Nickel, who we haven't seen too much, but I think we always kind of hoping he can kind of be a guy moving forward. I thought it was interesting watching them. A couple things that I saw playing Syracuse for North Carolina. One, um, you see that this North Carolina team is not as athletically gifted as some teams have been in the past. Uh, And that's not a knock because they were effective. But Bryce Johnson, um, going back to Isaiah Hicks, those guys just absolutely torched this Syracuse zone by going to the high post and then quickly making a decision, feeding it and getting dunks all night long. I think, Ross, your point about Carolina guys had seen it forever and this being Nance's first go-round. You do have to make a, a decision quickly. Um, and, and quite frankly, most guys, their first inclination is to shoot it. And he was able to – he shot 17 times and could have shot more, but he was able to to not follow that inclination of just putting it up on the glass right away. I, you know, I thought North Carolina got away from that in the second half, um, not attacking it, but – but to Adam's point, this Syracuse team is a lot longer than they have been. Somebody in the chat mentioned Carmelo Anthony was the reason Syracuse won that title. And, yeah, but Hakeem Warwick was the on that team as well. And when you've got a guy that's 6'10", 6'9", with like a 7'2 reach, like some of these guys do now, that makes the zone. It's like playing against six people or somebody on a ladder. And uh, so I think Syracuse is better than they have been. Jim Beheim. God, I watched him in the media, ACC media. Ross, I think you might have been in there. You might have dipped out earlier. He was just not happy to be there. He never looks happy to be there on the sidelines. You know, and then they mentioned the foul discrepancy. I mean, I would wager that Syracuse is always in the hole on fouls. Now, I'm not going to go look at Syracuse stats. But you play a passive zone, and it's not passive, but you you play a zone, of course you're going to – you're not going to – get to the line because it translates into a more passive offense and Carolina attacked, attacked, attacked and same way they did against North Carolina state. So the bottom line is to y'all's point, Carolina got a big win on the road in the ACC. They all count and they get to go into the bye weekend. Like Dewey said with positive mojo. And so this weekend will be important for them. What you got, John? I think I saw a question. Oh, I was going to say there were, there were two points, Ross, that you made I wanted to follow up on. First, I wanted to talk a little bit more about 
Caleb Love. And specifically, Adam, I don't know if you got the chance to talk to Caleb after the game, but did you get the sense that he thought his quote-unquote slump was over? Did you feel like he elaborated on him maybe turning the page? Did his teammates mention that at all? Or was this just sort of one good offensive night for Caleb? You know, I may have a story on that coming oh, to uh, InsideCarolina.com. Whoa. Uh, no, no spoilers. No spoilers. Well, I mean, it was an, such an – not to berate you in any way, John. It was such an obvious thing that jumped out, you know, as you're starting to watch the game. I mean, he takes his first one, bang. You know, he hit his first three. Um, I think it was three in the first eight minutes of the game. And, you know, I've been thinking about it as I was sort of going – I was going through – um, some of the interviews from the other night. And, yeah, we talked to Caleb. He's the first one we got. And um, I just wonder if – I don't want to say mirage, but if just the fact that Syracuse plays the zone makes it different. Because those three threes that he hit all were catch and shoots. They were not off the dribble. And two of them, he had just the cleanest looks ever because he caught, caught one from Armando. Armando passed out from the baseline up to the top. Stepped right into it. Nobody's out there. They had collapsed on Armando. Bang. Third one he hit, I think Pete passed back to him. Another one. Straight on. You know, so I don't know. But uh, it was the first time I looked it up. It was the first time Caleb has been above 50% from the field in 10 games since the Citadel game on December 13th. Uh, he hit the three threes. It was 15 points. Um, you know, it wasn't 30. You know, it wasn't like the UCLA game in the tournament. Um, but uh, – and he didn't miss until the second half. You know, he went into halftime perfect from the field. So, I think it was a, obviously a much-needed shot in the arm. Um, he mentioned that uh, he's been working with uh, one of the assistant coaches on UNC staff, some some extra shooting sessions that I'm mentioning in the story uh, that it should be posted tomorrow morning, hopefully. And um, – that was one thing I thought about Caleb is, you know, this guy, he, he always says, I trust my work, and he's not above, like, tinkering. I can, I can distinctly remember Ross, I'm sure he does, him talking about a fresh mirror, like, getting into meditation. <laughs> like, he told us he had downloaded the Calm app. I'm assuming he saw a LeBron commercial. <laughs> and he started meditating. Uh, and this was as a freshman. And, you know, how what expectations he had on him as a five-star. I think uh, Cunningham was the only point guard rated higher than him. Um but anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm rambling here. Uh, you know, I think it was a, 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 a much-needed shot in the arm. Hubert talked about after the Syracuse game that, uh, you know, it's, it, a lot of it's about the shot selection because his confidence is not going to waver. It's about taking good shots. Um, so we'll see where Caleb goes from this. But, you know, I think he needed it. He had been three for 22 from three coming into the Syracuse game. To your point, he shot him in rhythm. He shot him within the offense, and he looked good doing it. And I won't tip your story, but the coaching staff has two of the three best three-point shooters ever. That's the lead of the story. Have you read it? Uh, no, but I'm I, I'm good. I'm smart. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but read Adam's story and read all about it. Uh, it might might contain some good insight there. But yeah, love. Uh, when love is engaged totally and completely, um, he's what this team needs. I mean, he's what this team has to have. Is this game similar to the Virginia Tech game last year where they won at Virginia Tech? Obviously, they won against Syracuse. Um, 
they won against Syracuse later in the season last year and kept the the run going where love played well late but against virginia tech earlier about this time of the year last year they had a nice road win so we'll see we'll see how it does somebody asked was did we see two games from pete nance on against syracuse and i wanted to answer that question is he got comfortable obviously in the second half he looked uncomfortable early um, but played well And, and then getting the basket there after Gerard saved it under his own basket, saved it and gave Carolina a free one was certainly the turning point in the game. And like Garrett Chapman, is this the turning point in the season? John Bowman, what do you think? I'm I'm letting you run this ship. I'm just sitting back in the back seat. I'm Daisy today. I love it. I I wanted to talk a little bit about the bench too. Ross, you you brought that up. We didn't get the chance to kind of elaborate on, Tyler Nichols performance and and I think too I've noticed the exact same thing with their with their bench and it does feel like Hubert kind of rides one bench player as sort of the hot hand of the night um, and it doesn't seem like there are certain matchups where you think you know hey this guy someone like Jalen Washington you think oh he would fit in well against Syracuse he's someone who could play heavy minutes tonight but it seems sort of more based on feel of the game. Tyler Nickel had kind of a good start, and he ended up playing one of his best games of the season. I think it does speak to the depth of this team. That's why you have a really deep bench. You can pull on guys in certain spots and, and lean on them. And I think, too, a little bit back to last year's run in March Madness, where it felt a little bit like the same thing, where different bench guys would step up at different points in different games. And that sort of propelled them forward. But I guess, Ross, the question for you, is this bench sustainable? Is this way of using the bench how you would use the bench? Or would you kind of shake it up and and maybe give people more consistent minutes so they can build on their strong performances? I don't know. I mean, I think Puff, I mean, I think Puff's your guy. You know, I think he, he's the versatile piece you need that can play two or three positions. And he's been out the last two games. Um, There's just not – I don't really know who is the sixth man, you know. I don't think – I mean, I think Seth leaves a lot to be desired on offense. Um, I don't think – we haven't seen Tyler enough to be really worth, you know, putting much stock on him moving forward. I think Jalen is a is a good kind of third big man. I thought he, he looked okay against uh, Syracuse. See what, he, what did he do? Two points and five – okay, so he played five minutes – two points, two rebounds, but, you know, we've got that basket in there in five minutes, pretty solid. And then uh, DeMarco Dunn's been okay, but yeah, there isn't like that guy. I think, I think Puff needs to be that guy because he has a length. He's the energy guy. The ball always seems to find him. You know, he can, he can knock down the three. It's not consistent, but, um, and he can score on the basket. I mean, I think he is your guy because you're going to, you're going to need to give Leaky a break, you know, and Puff can also play the four so he can give Nance a break. Um, I just think he, you know, that's what we thought heading into the season that the puff was going to be the sixth man. And so I think that needs to come to fruition, but he just has had really bad injury luck. Um, you know, I wrote a quick injury story and he's missed something 30 plus games during his UNC career. I think it's, up, you know, up into the, into the high thirties now. So we, we don't know if we'll have him, uh, against Pitt on Wednesday. I don't know, Adam, what do you think? Bench? I mean- Puff, I think you can say, is injury prone. You know, I mean, yes, he's had bad luck, but 
It seems like it's always something that guy. He gets hurt a lot. Um, yeah. Sore and knee is kind of is kind of injury prone. Like it just can't can't get healthy. It seems. How many times have these guys gotten hurt in practice? You know, Demarco Dunn, Puff. I mean, good lord, RJ with the with the finger to start the season. I was reading the comments over here, which we appreciate everybody. I noticed my man Jack must be a gentleman like myself in his mid forties because when Tommy said. I'll be Daisy. I thought he was talking about Daisy Duke. I didn't know it was driving Miss Daisy. Um, you didn't know when I said I'm going to sit in the back seat and you're going to drive? I mean, I'm my Daisy. mind went to Daisy Duke. I don't know what that says about me, but um, anyway, yeah, appreciate the comment there, Jack. Thinking on your toes. But, I mean, I don't know. This team doesn't have a sixth man. Does it, Do you have to have a sixth man? You know, they have a couple of, like, guys they use. You know, they have guys that come off the bench. They play three or four guys. They don't have, like, just a – you know, a guy you're going to go to first off the bench every time. It's yeah, it's, just, it's matchups, it's matchup with, based, I guess. With Hubert, it's situational. We asked him yes, sure. uh, after the game at Syracuse. You know, what did you see? What did you see from Tyler Nickel that made you go back to him? Because you know, they put him back in too after they tried him, and Hubert immediately said he wasn't scared. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple of the guys didn't even ask. We didn't even ask them about Nickel after the game. Caleb brought Nickel up like unprompted after the game. And he's like, the chase down block that T-Nick had was huge. And I think it started a fast break the other way, didn't it? Didn't he block it and they went back the other way? Maybe Armando got a dunk, something like yeah, that. It was at the end of the first half and it led to a fast break. Yeah, okay, Armando, I know, had a dunk in the final minute. Maybe yeah, off a leaky pass. And I think it went the other way too. I think then Syracuse went the other way and scored. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I mean, there's going to be – there's going to there's 10 games left in the regular season. There's going to continue to be these moments where a Tyler Nickel, a DeMarco Dunn, uh, maybe a Seth Trimble, a Puff Johnson, maybe a Dontre Styles steps up and Ross and I are at the game and we're like, all right, Ross, you've got the so-and-so sidebar here because it's, you know, a big moment. And then you might not hear from him from two or three games. Uh, it's it's just, all, I, I think that's just how it's going to be. It's almost like whatever you need, there is a guy for that job. If you need a backup big man to play big minutes because Armando's out, Jalen Washington. If you need a defensive stopper on the perimeter, Seth Trimble. If you need a dog that's not scared, Tyler Nickel that can hit a shot. If you need utility guy, Puff Johnson, you know, it's kind of like there's not one perfect guy, but they each have some uh, some different tools, whether that be uh, their their frame, their length, their mentality, defense, shooting. Um, you know, I think DeMarco's had some really good moments if he could – if he could keep knocking down threes, that's huge too. So there's a lot of different pieces, but not there's not like a Marvin Williams coming off the bench or a um, what's another good sixth man in UNC Melvin history. Scott, yeah, Hunter Melvin Bradley. Scott. I don't even know who Hunter Bradley is. Um, Tony Bradley. Oh, you said Tony Bradley. Tony Bradley. Was, yeah, I thought you said Hunter Bradley. Uh, Tony Bradley. Tony Bradley. Tony Bradley. Bradley. I do I do wonder how it impacts the players themselves though. There's been some talk in the in the uh chat about the like the NBA model. And obviously I'm not an expert there, but I think in the NBA the roles are very clear and it's very defined. If you're gonna play twelve minutes a game, the coach, the front office, they'll communicate that to you and then you can kind of go into the game prepping, okay, this is my role, I'm gonna have this many minutes, here's my job. I don't know exactly how Hubert communicates with his bench, but I do wonder how it sort of impacts the mentality of the bench guys. Because on the one hand, they always have to be ready because they don't know when they're going to be called upon. 
for big minutes. You know, you have to keep your oxygen levels up because you might be Jalen Washington and play 25 minutes after, you know, not playing at all in, in a long stretch of the season or same with Tyler Nickel against Syracuse. But also, you know, if you're Tyler Nickel and you have a big game, you'd look for, you know, minutes to kind of build on that performance. Um, but it's a little bit more mismatchy in, in that way. So I would be interested to hear how that impacts the, the bench players. And, you know, you can certainly get through a, a season like that and you can win a lot of games that way. But, you know, also think about the long-term development and how they're kind of continuing to build on their strong performances on the bench. I think the thing that I have noticed, especially from Hubert Davis detractors, because obviously all coaches have some, is that they just don't like the fact that four minutes into the game, someone is not getting up and checking in just like he did four minutes into the last game and the last game and the last game. You know, like, I mean, everyone from Roy Williams to my high school coach who my high school coach would never be confused for Roy Williams in uh, a lot of things, including his um, basketball acumen, but that's rather mean. Um, you know, they just put someone in first official timeout. You know, you're going in. You know, you're, you're first up, you're second up. You guys are checking in. Hubert just doesn't do it. He's just not going to do it. I mean, I, I just like I, I was kind of my eyeballs were kind of bugging out at Louisville a while back because Jalen Washington had just played the game of his life. And I was like, OK, Jalen Washington is now a major factor in this lineup, this rotation. Uh, Armando Bacot had suffered what looked like a gruesome ankle injury. We didn't know if he was going to play. Um, you know, Tommy and Joey Powell asked me on the radio before the game, you think you can get 30 minutes out of Jalen Washington today? And uh, I think I said, I think they're going to have to get 30 minutes out of him. I don't know if he can make it 30, but um, – and then he what happens? Like, he got like three. Armando played the first 15 minutes of the game. They didn't take him out until there was five <laughs> minutes left in the first half. Um, and we asked Hubert about I asked Hubert about it, and he said, you know, I was worried Armando might get stiff and not be able to go back in. So I wanted to keep him rolling, and that made sense. What the heck? Um, so I just think that – that's it, that aspect of the way Hubert Davis coaches is always going to be dissected and put under a microscope and griped about is that he's not, you know, like some, think about it. Think, think about, I, I just, I keep going back to high school. I mean, it was like at the three fifteen mark, somebody got up and went to the scores table because someone was going to check in. It just was going to happen. Um, that's, and it's just not how Hubert does it. He just doesn't do it. We've asked him if he has a substitution coach. You know, you see a lot of teams that have substitution coaches. They tell the head guy, Hey, let's get Johnny Bowman in, uh, you know, cause we're three minutes in it. It's just, that's just not how he does it. Uh, now he could make a change, but that's not how he's done it through the first season and a half of the Hubert Davis era. Couple things before we go to break. Uh, Dewey Burke and Taylor Vipolis after the state game had a good conversation about this. Um, so go back and find the state post game. Um, I asked about Hubert's rotations. Dewey sort of laid it out, talked about trust. Vip also talked about um, the difficulty in being able to get into a rhythm when you don't know how long you're going to play, you don't know um, when you're going to play. And so there's a lot going on there. But I agree with you guys. Hubert's going to do it the NBA way, and he's and his Answer to the question, you know, when people send us questions to ask the football staff, um, you got to understand you're going to get coach speak. But Huber's answer is always going to be, guys, they're going to get an opportunity, but I can't tell them when. They just need to be ready when that opportunity comes. And so it might be tougher on the kid. It might be 
um, not the best way for the player himself, but it's the best way that Hubert Davis sees, and, and he's the head coach. George Lynch talked about it too. Um, and Adam, I'll tease that story. We're dropping the George Lynch interview from Saturday on Inside Carolina Live tomorrow on the website. I heard he brought it on the radio show. Is that right, Tommy? I heard he was like strong to quite strong. He, he is a uh, he's an interesting guy, and he graduated. In 93, of course, captain of the national championship team. So his words are worth listening for. If people listening to, if people hadn't checked it out, it'll be on the site tomorrow and on the YouTube channel <clears throat> as well, and probably on the podcast feed at some point. Let's talk Johnny T-shirt and JohnnyT-shirt.com. They're sponsors of this podcast, sponsors of the Incut Inside Carolina, great friends of the Inside Carolina Premium subscriber. If you want recruiting information, whether it's Don Callahan, Sherelle McMillan, or Sean Moran. You need to be an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber, and you get swag for 10% off if you are. They got the jerseys. They got basketball. They got the women's team. They've got baseball jerseys. Anything you could possibly want at Johnny T-Shirt Carolina related, they got. And they've got great deals on everything. And then that 10% if you're a premium subscriber. National Guys Pay the Bills. It is On The Beat Live January 26th. We'll be right back. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all right boys uh second half of the show we've looked back let's look ahead a little bit adam 
Um, we've talked about the buys, a great team, Hubert, a uh, great time. Hubert talked about it's a time for them to concentrate on them, maybe add some wrinkles and all that. But next week, Pittsburgh comes to town, and I've watched Pittsburgh a couple times since they played Carolina, and they haven't looked as good as they did since they played Carolina, but they're still dangerous. And then, of course, you got Duke, Wake, and Clemson after that. It's a big stretch for this team, for, for a team still – sort of finding their way, even though they've had some big wins in the last couple of weeks. Tommy, we mentioned it in the the preview for the NC State game Saturday, that the state the NC State game last Saturday started a stretch for UNC of eight straight opponents who had winning records in the ACC. Um, th- th- those teams were 44 and 19 going into last Saturday. Um, you know, and it's a couple, it, it, it's a stretch that, Starts with NC State, started Saturday with NC State, and ends in February, February 19th with NC State. You got Pitt, Duke, at Wake, Clemson, Miami, at NC State. Virginia may be in there. No, Virginia's not in that stretch. Um, but, yeah, next week, Pitt, I mean, it's I would say it's a revenge game. And then you have a fairly quick, a Wednesday to Saturday turnaround for the first Duke game at Cameron Indoor Stadium. We all know what happened the last time the Heels were there. Um, so there's no doubt. And, you know, I think I'm one of these nerds who every single day I'm looking at Ken Palm every single day. I'm looking at the net. I look at it too much. I need to, to be more active, uh, in the rest of my life. I look at the, you know, you look at the bracketology. I think Lenardi has UNC as an eight seed right now. You know, you get, this stretch is going to determine where Carolina goes into, I think the postseason you know, short of them winning the ACC tournament or something like that. Um, I think they, I think Carolina can beat every one of these teams and probably lose to every one of these teams, but I think they're better than these teams, honestly. Um, you know, I, I, I wonder if coming out of this next bit, we'll see the Tar Heels on top of the ACC. You know, I don't want to put the jinx on them, but they're two games out of first. Um, Clemson and Virginia are ahead of them. I don't think Virginia is going to falter too much. Um but I think it's going to be super interesting. I also think it's going to be super challenging. Like, think about that. You're at Duke, then you're at Wake, you know? Mm. Carolina is everyone's biggest game. Um, the Syracuse writers the other night were saying that Syracuse's guys had talked about this is the biggest game of the season. Um, I thought that was interesting. You think about Syracuse's Big East roots. Uh, so it's going to be challenging. But I'm interested to see what UNC can do. I, like we've said, I still don't feel like they've played their best. And I'm interested to see if they can hit that. Um, also interested to see how they come off this break in the schedule. I hope they, I hope they can remain focused <laughs> because sometimes they can get a little unfocused. Um, so we'll see. But they don't play again till, till February 1st. January is over for them. Yeah, I think they're in, man. They're entering just you know the heart of the schedule here. You get the revenge game against Pitt, like Adam said, and then like look, Duke Wake on the road. You know on. You know, dark nights driving back from Wake Forest, went to Salem. You know, he's right. Um, and then you got the matchup with Clemson. I mean, Clemson's atop the ACC. Um, so that'll be a huge one in the uh, Smith Center on a Saturday at 2 p.m. Be rocking. I think the, the, the afternoon games on Saturday, you can get tons of families and kids there. It's always a pretty rowdy atmosphere. Like the state game was awesome. And then you got state again on the road. I mean, you have Miami. Then, I mean, that state game. I mean, if you go on Twitter, you had like state fans threatening people's lives 
like <laughs> about going to that game, like make sure the ambulance is ready, get the stretcher ready. It's like crazy because of how pissed they were after the 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 game uh, last weekend. So that's gonna be a big one too. I mean, that will not be easy. That that crowd is rowdy. They're around the court there, and usually. If we're lucky enough, we're right on the court there as well, covering the game. And so you're you're right there with some NC State donors with their cowboy boots on the wood. Um, Are you covering it in Raleigh? Because keep talking. <laughs> I will. I will be there. Yeah, State fans love me. Um, and they got Virginia again. So, I mean, the, the losses, the pit to pit and Virginia, you know, they get both of them at home. That's some nice symmetry. Um, and we're, we're not even talking about Duke. The Duke game doesn't doesn't feel as big, but um, that's got I me. Mean, Duke game's a week from th- Saturday. Yeah, I think I have, no, I think no I have no a seat there too, Adam. I got a seat, Adam, which is gonna be nice. That's great, Ross. Your hair looks fantastic, by the way, too. And the, yeah. the light is just dancing off it. Yeah, about a week and a half, two weeks after the haircut, it, it reaches its, it gets to the peak form. John, get in there. You were what do you? I, what do you I wanted to talk just a little bit, just a little bit. You have to indulge me. Has, has this not been the week of the conspiracy theory? I mean, what in the world is going on on Twitter? I am not going to call out anybody by name. Nothing specifics here, but I mean, you just talk about people on Twitter. Everyone has just lost their mind about all different numbers of conspiracy theories related to. <laughs> The UNC-NC State game. And then it kind of continued with the Duke game with the throat punch that wasn't a tech. I mean, I, 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 it's, it's kind of perplexing to me. It's like, what happened? How did, we, how did we get to this point where all of a sudden there's some sort of conspiracy for everything? <laughs> if you remember, on this show one week ago, I specifically said UNC was number one in the ACC Mm-hmm. at drawing free throws yep. and NC state was number 15 in the ACC in allowing free throws. And a number of people repeated a similar stat on Twitter. If you look season long, if you look season long, UNC is 13th in the country in free throw attempts over field goal attempts. That's from Ken That stat. That's one of the best marks in the country. There's no grand conspiracy here about free throws and, refs i i just i just have to mention that because it just let's, feels like it was a wildfire this week with some of that conversation yeah let's get into it it's kind of is the topic of discussion this week with acc basketball i know adam's a big ref guy i don't ever talk about refs i don't know many refs i think when you blame refs and you worry about foul calls and ref calls it's loser mentality um i think they're doing their best job and it's gonna some are gonna break your team's way and somebody gonna break the other way, but UNC has a 62 to 15 foul shot differential um, this week. They shot 39 free throws, made 36. That percentage is a record for UNC, uh, shooting over 30 free throws. NC State took 12. Okay, and then against Syracuse, UNC's UNC this has got funny. UNC shot 23, and Syracuse shot three. That's a wild. So it's 62 free throws in the last two games. The opponent has shot 15. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any conspiracy out there, but I mean, you have state fans all on Twitter just losing their minds, thinking Swafford's, you know, pulling <laughs> strings from the gray. I know he's not dead, but kind of pulling strings from behind the, 
the shadows, making sure UNC went, you know, UNC's getting all the calls. Uh, Adam, what do you think about what UNC does to draw fouls? What do you think about the whole um, situation here? I know that's a folk. Hubert mentions that a lot. Like we like to draw fouls. You know, if you're shooting the bonus at the end of each half, you're going to win a lot of games, getting that bonus as quick as possible. And then Baycott is a foul drawing machine with how physically is down low. Keep going, Ross. When you said John Swafford pulling strings from the grave, I'm, I mean, I'm, I had he's alive, he's alive and well. He's alive and well. I hadn't heard that conspiracy. I was oh, enjoying it. You hadn't heard the Swafford conspiracy? State, oh, state my fans. Oh, state fans. Hey, John Swafford. John, where have you been, buddy? Swaft. You hadn't heard I mean, he's Swafford. talking about whether Swafford was alive or not, I think. Oh, uh, oh. <laughs> he's alive. State fans been blaming John Swafford since, you know, conception. For a lot of them. Um, anyway, Adam, he asked you a relevant question. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting that Ross was talking about, uh, well, right, both games, uh, the free throw disparity. Do you know how many free throws UNC took in the first half at Syracuse? Two. They got the halftime, they had taken two free throws. That was it. It took 21 in the second half. Um, I'm while sure that was late. All those were late, too. True, true. I'm sure it was mentioned at the half, too, because Ross is absolutely right. And, you know, if you listen to we, – we try to listen to Hubert closely. If you listen to Hubert after the BC game last week, they took 29 threes in that game. And Hubert said, way too much. Now, he didn't say way too much because I want Armando or whoever flying to the rim and getting fouls drawn. But that's what he meant. He meant, you know, he, he meant if we're taking that many, we're probably settling for some – and we're not attacking. And the way Caleb Love plays, the way R.J. Davis plays, even though he's not built like a truck, um, you know, those guys are good off the bounce. Uh, I think Leakey could draw a ton of fouls if he wanted to. There's so many times Leakey goes up, and I think he's going to dunk it, and he's, like, trying to lay it in. I don't know. Um, I probably shouldn't tell Leakey how to play. But, uh, yeah, I mean, what John said is exactly what I pretty much texted to a triangle radio host, not the one that posted the Ethan Raggy photo, but we're we're there in the post game after the Carolina State game, and I'm getting texts from a guy who has a radio show in Raleigh asking me if I wanted to comment <laughs> on the foul disparity, and I, I first of all I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Why would I comment on it? Um, <laughs> like you know, get off me, dude. Uh, so. But but I, I told him that because, like, that was one of my thoughts. I mean, granted, I didn't think it was going to be 39 to whatever it was, 12. But exactly as John said, no one draws as many fouls as UNC does. It's a huge margin. No one fouls as much as NC State does. No one. Uh, you know, like chicken and the egg here. Um, so, but, I, and again, I can understand if you're a Wolfpack fan, if you're a Syracuse fan, if you don't like Carolina, why you would be pissed about it. I get it. Um, but you know, here's something I was thinking during the NC state game. Ross knows I've said it. He's probably going to barf when I say it, cause I've said it so much. The, one of the refs that worked the NC state Carolina game, Tommy Morrison, you'll remember him from calling the phantom charge on leaky at Pitt. You remember that charge call mm -hmm. where <laughs> I think it was, um, Blake Henson for Pitt raised his hand. Like, yeah, I got him. And the guy <laughs> calls an offensive foul and leaky, like leaky literally said, like, what'd you just call? <laughs> like, uh, we could do a two-hour show on the, the quality of the officiating lately. Um, and, hey, not to start a conspiracy theory of our own, 
these guys have heard, I am no doubt in my mind, about how many free throws Carolina has taken lately. Uh, you've seen makeup calls in the game forever. I'm interested to see if the whistles get tougher uh, for Carolina here in February because these guys have been hearing about how Carolina gets all the calls. What do they used to chant? Carolina refs, Carolina refs. Um, so that's what I think about it. I mean, uh, R.J. Davis went to the free throw line 14 times against State, made all of them. They probably shouldn't have fouled him as much. Um, I, think I, fouls, think I think drawing fouls is a skill and putting fouls on people uh, is a skill and part of it. I, I do think a big part of it, too, is like there has been a lot of frustration about the refs conference-wide, college basketball-wide this season. We all know, too, like with the high definition and the replays, you can analyze every call. But one last point. The UNC-NC State game, that was an 11-point game. UNC won 80-69. to 69. What, what conspiracy can make up for an 11-point margin of victory? I don't think the game especially in the second half, was particularly close. So that is another piece of this whole conspiracy that I'm just really perplexed by. I just, I just, if it was, you know, if it was a two-point game, you know, maybe there's, there's one thing there, but this was an 11-point margin of victory, and UNC was in control for much of the second half. I'll, I'll stop now. I'm done. You also, I promise. You also had the 2,000 state that are, I mean, worth discussion. That was a while back, but you had the leaky foul on, on Baby T., uh, flagrant two ejection, baby T out on a stretcher, and then played the next game uh, a couple days later. And then you had um, the flagrant one on who, who was it that fouled Caleb Love? More so. Yeah, the offensive foul kind of hitting Caleb when he was trying to play defense. It was a flagrant one. So you had two kind of judgment calls there. I don't know, Adam, you have a thought on those? I mean, I thought. It's interesting how the rule is written because a lot of it has to do with contact with the head that makes it the, the degree increases because of just they're trying to protect heads and stuff. And both hits were to the head. Yeah. I mean, I, I think when, when John was talking about it uh, before you even mentioned it, Ross, I think, I think that's the thing there, there was the Turquavian Smith situation, mm -hmm. which I think that inflames, you know, like a Wolfpack fan even more. And you can understand why ACC's leading scorer, He's a beautiful dude. He's hilarious. He can fill it up. He could have gone to the NBA last year and probably been a first-round pick. He said, no, I'm coming back to NC State because he loves Kevin Keats. You know, I, he, he went to Farmville Central, and he said he wasn't going anywhere but NC State. You know, like, that's their guy. Uh, you know, like, I, I just think that that moment uh, ratcheted up, you know, a whole bunch of different levels. There's the Carolina hate and the foul situation. It, I think that just took it. Was it. Their, it was their best player. Their, yeah, I think ACC player of the year potential. Right. I just think that took it way up into the stratosphere in terms of the rage for uh, an NC State fan. And yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I mean, I don't think Leaky was, I, I thought it was a basketball play. I thought Leaky was trying to block the shot, which he got a piece of it. And then he hit him in the face. So, and uh, if you go to the, the, the Virginia Tech throat punch on Filipowski, I, I mean, the way the rule is written, as Ross alluded to, contact above the shoulders. Um, I know there's no way that Collins, dude, for Virginia Tech was intending to do that, but he still did it. I mean, I thought that should be a flagrant. Because, that was a celebration, the celebration hit? Yeah, he got hit. He got punched in the throat. Uh, it looked like it hurt. John Shire said Philip House, he was puking on the Duke bench. Um, 
but they didn't call anything because I obviously was inadvertent. Um, that would have changed that outcome of that game, that kind of call. And Jay Billis didn't say a word about it on Twitter, and he's very active. And if he's listening, he can answer it himself. <laughs> he did the exact same thing when he played for Duke. Exactly. Made a basket, threw a punch in the air celebrating, and laid out somebody. And they didn't call anything. Of course, back mm-hmm. in the day, they weren't soft like everybody wow. is now. I mean, that was <laughs> 1981. Get off my lawn. But uh, anyway, mm-hmm. good Taylor, teams beat bad refs. Carlos Boozer celebrated and hit, the, hit a player, a ref in the in the groin region. I think it was the yeah. NBA. <laughs> I mean, it, it happens. That, that was uh, – yeah, and somebody referenced on tra- uh, on the chat. Drew did, you know, Leaky gets ejected for that, and Jer- it took him ten minutes, fifteen minutes to eject Gerald Henderson for what he did to Hansborough. I just don't arguing about the officials. Like I will agree with you, Ross. It's just a a loser mentality because do they stink? Sure. Would we stink if we did it? Yeah. I refed one game in my life. It was a middle school basketball game, and I thought I was going to have to fight parents mm-hmm. because uh, everybody's screaming at the refs these days. I mean, I wouldn't do that job for nothing, but they have real jobs. The ACC makes all this money. They don't pay their guys full time. You get what you pay for, and, and they do the best. You know, right, I could yeah. use, I mean, it, it is what it is. And, and that's why Shashevsky was so good because he could manipulate them, and and quite frankly, Coach Smith could too. But anyway, that's the thing. When I talk about conspiracy theories, exactly as you mentioned, Tommy, I have seen and heard uh, from the men on the street here in Mebane, North Carolina, and also on the internet <laughs> that uh, you know what? If Coach K was still coaching Duke, they get that call every time. You know why they don't get that call? Because John Shire's soft, and that's. What- <laughs> And that's why the program, the Duke program, is going the wrong way. And that's why. They don't respect Shire, and they didn't call it. That's what some of the uh, man-on-the-street interviews I've heard from over this way. That, I, I, I could picture you walking down the street with your microphone, <laughs> like, like holding up, trying to get comments. Go ahead, Ross. No, I, mean, I just think the refs are fine. You, you will, for fans out there, UNC fans, state fans, st- if you stop worrying about the refs, it makes your life – so much easier. I never worry about refs. Doesn't cross my mind. Never complain. I, it's just not a. It doesn't. It's not part of my following games. You know, it, it's not like you complaining is going to have them switch the call. It's not worth getting worked up about. But fans, they're they're fanatics. Fans is short for fanatics. So it's the hard only to time, that. yeah, the only time I I think that I can remember, and I've watched this way too long. The only time I can remember an official's call costing Carolina a basketball game pretty directly was Isaiah Hicks's foul against Villanova in 16 at the very end where Villanova was at the end of the shot clock and they called some bogus mess in the lane on Isaiah Hicks. That's the only time I've ever gotten, like, this is NC State getting mad level at, at officials. It is what it is. Folks, Ross, your point, basketball is a beautiful sport. Worrying about what dudes and stripes are calling all the time. I mean, it starts. Somebody in the chat mentioned it, and I'm getting off of it because y'all are getting me worked up. Carolina beat State by 50 points in the Smith Center during Hansborough's years. And State fans to this day say if they'd have called foul on Hansborough in the first half, <laughs> State would have won that game. And that's when I just Man. quit listening to it. I mean, the, the whole ref thing plays into the State mentality that they're, they are <laughs> woes me. 
little brother kind of, you know, it's never our fault. It's they're always blaming someone else for their deficiencies. It just plays into their general mentality of how they approach fandom. Like grievance you know, culture. They're yeah, everyone, every, you know, they're the, the world, the world's against us. The, the ACC is against us. The refs are against us. I mean, it's just, that's the mentality of state fans. It's just, it's always how it is. I do think too, a little, little tiny piece of this is I think that the UNC Duke rivalry maybe has the least juice heading into this game as it's had in a long, long time. I feel like UNC Duke last year, it was such a pinnacle of the rivalry. It hasn't quite, like, I don't know exactly how much you guys are, are reading, but I mean, I haven't seen a lot of hype for the first UNC no. Duke game, especially compared to certainly last season, but then even in, in season past, I think both teams are, are down a little bit from their usual standards, so that plays into it as well. But I think that's a little bit of a, a piece of, of this as well. Without that narrative to kind of carry as sort of the, the center note throughout the ACC basketball season, there's been some other fringe narratives that have come into the mainstream. And- fringe narrative comes in the mainstream. Sounds like something you hear on like a dark web or Fox sports. <laughs> like if you take it out of contact or not Fox sports, Fox news, uh, fringe <laughs> narratives coming into the mainstream. Um, we have, we'll have next week. We can talk about Duke for sure, but I agree, John, I, I wonder, I don't think Duke will be ranked, but I think there's a chance UNC could slip into the top 25 Monday. They don't play again. I'm not sure who plays, but, um, I know UNC was, was kind of one of the top vote getters outside. So but I don't think Duke will be ranked because they lost this week. Um, so you have potentially two unranked teams next uh, two Saturdays from now. UNC could be like 25, 24. Um, and yeah, I think you're right. I think both teams are, I mean, I think Duke's definitely down. I think UNC is, is a little bit down from where they're expected to be, but, but, you know, a pretty solid team. It's, it's going to, I think, be there at the end, but uh, Hey, how about this? It's it's exciting when state is is better, and it's fun when state is good, and the games are competitive, and you have state fans excited about their team, and, and they're they're playing pretty well and winning games. I mean, they've been awful the last couple of years, but this year, I mean, it's it's good when Wake State are are solid, and they're they're not where they have been in terms of you know a top ten, sorry, top twenty five team, but um, you know, Wake and State are both both uh, formidable opponents in the ACC um, this year. Ross, real quick, I know we're close on time here. I want a quick segment on ACC baseball or UNC baseball media day. Uh, I want to you know as sort of your perspective. What what did you learn today? Because that was also an event that happened today. Tommy's the baseball guy. Mm, he was I there mean, too. Yeah, Ross was there at media day. I mean, Scott Forbes, third year at the helm of North Carolina. Started off great last year, had a rough patch in the middle um, and then sort of took off similar. I think it's pretty similar to how North Carolina basketball did since we've been talking about basketball. They they were rough in the middle and then they got on a run and this sort of led to some expectations this year. Uh, you know, they're, they're ranked anywhere from, I think, 11 to 17. They've got Vance Honeycutt coming back, who's one of the best players in the country. You know, it's sort of the, the similar – vibe of having Drake May you, you know you've got a guy a singular player in a team sport that's going to get a ton of national recognition so I think that's good for Forbes's team pitching's going to be the thing for Carolina it is in college baseball and 
it is the number one thing in college baseball is to have more than one quality um, stud pitcher, and that's what Carolina's going to have to work on. I think we'll see how that goes. Transfer portal, junior college players, all that kind of stuff, it affects baseball the same way. Um, but it was pretty cool. You know, it's hard to get into baseball when it's 50 degrees outside and it's in January, but I, I think they'll be a pretty good team, and we'll try to have a little more coverage of the baseball team. I love it. Yeah, I, I mean, I love – I love college baseball. Ross asked the question about beer in the Bosch. I'll give I'll give Ross credit. Yeah, I mean, I'll, yeah, go ahead. He asked he asked the beer question in Bosch. I think it's relevant. Um, but you also asked Vance Honeycutt about the cheer wine, and that was a pretty yeah, classic I mean, question. So I was in there to film, and uh, I didn't ask. I I didn't act like I knew what I was talking about. I didn't. You know, I wasn't asking any you know technical questions. I mean, I don't. I don't know half the name. I don't know many of the names and teams. So <laughs> I asked about Vance Honeycutt because I knew he's really good. So I asked, that was my one question to um, Scott Forbes. And then, you know, I've been to playing press conference. I know they work. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to ask a, a little silly question at the front end. You wait until everyone's got their questions. And then, <laughs> you know, I asked him about beer in the Bosch and, and he, he turned it into a question about fans and how dude, if it, if it gets more fans out, you know, good. I mean, Scott Forbes is he is he, he he seems like the guy you kind of want leading UNC baseball. Kind of a good old boy, you know, but seemed very sharp. Um, I don't have much interaction. Adams covered Adam covered the team last year, but I mean he seems like the guy you want that can be the coach for the next 20 years for for UNC. You know, he's been assistant for forever for Mike Fox. Um and then yeah. He was asked, on this show, right? He was on yeah, the show. He joined Gregory and I on the show. Yeah when june of last year May yeah, it was after year. a big it was after a big win i remember i think yeah. yeah it was after the acc championship win and then going into the regionals look that dude's a class act it, like you say he's perfect for carolina baseball um krebs asking the chat did they have davis palermo no he moved on um they've got a ton of new guys i think they said they have 12 new pitchers on the roster um it was like they, 19 total newcomers or 17 or 19. Yeah, and it's just unbelievable, the roster turn. I asked, how do you manage a roster within any sort of sanity with portal, with MLB draft, with, with COVID years out there and all that stuff? So it's going to be interesting to watch. I, I love think, it. Think I, I want this. Tommy on the beat. I want Tommy on the beat every game, Tommy. I want you in the press box Shh. tweeting away. I can't. Uh, that, Gamer that's after every game. I it love hearing Ross game. talk about it. I just love picturing it. Ross, I meant to text you that for me, I always think, for whatever reason, I always think of Vance Honeycutt kind of like Drake May, just a UNC legacy. You know, both of his mm -hmm. parents went to Carolina. Like, you know, he was baby blue from the start. I meant to text you that because I thought you might could get a question out of it. And I'm sorry I forgot about it. But uh, uh, here, listen to this. Let's think about how this is now. People talk about how Carolina sports or whatever, but in 2024, you can conceivably have the number one pick in the NFL draft in Drake May, the number one pick in the major league draft in Vance Honeycutt because he's not eligible this summer. Right. And if one of these 2023 guys or somebody reclasses, you could conceivably have a top five pick in the NBA draft for Carolina sports. That's a lot of conception, Tommy. That is uh, a yeah, lot of conceptions that turned out to be pretty good ball players. Go ahead, yeah. Ross. Let's uh, close if, it up. If, if Ian Jackson is, is that good, that'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, it's been a while since UNC has had anybody drafted that high in basketball, so we'll see. But, yeah. A lot to talk about. Carolina baseball starting. Carolina basketball in a bye week. 
Pitt next Wednesday. We'll be back next Thursday on the beat. Check us out. Like I said, VIP shows coming out up in the rafters. Uh, Greg Barnes and I are doing next level on the money, NCAA and the money. George Lynch interview. Check it out on YouTube and probably on the podcast feed. There's a, there'll be an article on the site. And as always, everything else that we do at Inside Carolina, it's out there for you. Johnny T-shirt and JohnnyT-shirt.com. John, Adam, and Ross. I'm Tommy. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.